Hi guys, before we get started today, wanted to let you know about a new podcast. 30 for 30 podcast presents The Longest Game. In spring of 1981, the Pawtucket Red Sox and Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game. Over the course of 33 innings, the two teams would make history. The episode features archival sound and accidental Trevor Trove of the game's play-by-play broadcast and interviews with those who experienced it firsthand. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Meeting Time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks playing guard just means you bark at the door a lot. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I feel like having Aaron Schutz, a football outsiders on, it kind of, for me, means the season is ready to begin. We are done with division previews, Aaron. We are now fully in preseason football. I am so glad to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here, and I am ready to start the season as well. If they wanted to drop to two preseason games, I'd be okay with that. <gasps> How dare you, as a, as a preseason <laughs> analyst, taking money out of my pocket? No, yeah, I, I feel you. Uh, well, it, it, you know, it's well. I, I mean, I'm sure fans of teams who have lost players to injuries feel that way. Although there haven't been, I guess Zach Wilson is probably the biggest one. Um, you know, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So actually, that's a good place to start because he's out, they're saying about four weeks now or three or four weeks, maybe week one. I don't know. The ACL, MCL sprain. What do you think? I mean, you know, he'll be gone a couple of weeks and we were not high on the Giants this year mm-hmm. at all. So the Giants were actually our lowest projected team. So I don't think it affects them very much. The Giants are building for the future. We like their front office and we like their coaching staff yeah, cool. and we like where they'll be in 2024 and Thibodeau will be fine by 2024. So I don't think it yeah. makes much of a difference. The defense is going to be rough <laughs> at the jump. Secondary is a problem. Oof, yeah. Well, so the optimistic case would be that like, okay, if you can get a pass rush, maybe you can compensate for some of those issues in the secondary, which really have been on display during the preseason, by the way. But, uh, you know, losing Thibodeau does not help that cause by any means. It'll be very interesting to see what, Wink Martindale does, which are just how he tries to compensate for those injuries. But we're not here to talk about uh, the injuries uh, or the Giants, actually. Um, you alluded to your projections. So I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite, most essential reads for the season every year is a Football Outsiders Almanac. Um, I, it's, I, if you go to footballoutsiders.com, it's pretty easy to find, right? Yeah, you can either go to Amazon and get Football Outsiders Almanac. That's the printed version. Or if you want an electronic version, like a downloadable PDF or to read the team chapters online as articles, you have to become an FO Plus subscriber. That's our premium service. You go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, and it'll tell you about all the stuff you get as part of FO Plus and what that costs. Well, it's hard to capture all of it in a single podcast. Obviously, there are very lengthy sections on each team. There's parts on trends. But what I asked you for this show uh, was to just kind of go through the book and give me the 10 biggest conclusions that you guys came up with. And I think there are points that are very fascinating. I would say just looking forward to the upcoming season, the 10 points you sent me really set up, I think, what is going what are going to be some of the most compelling storylines this year um just you know 
things that you need to know if you want to sound smart talking about this year. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I don't even know what order to put them in. Let's go 10 to 1, though. Um, I really like the 10th one, so I want to start there. Can you, Aaron, drumroll? Number 10 on Aaron Schatz's primary conclusions from the Football Outsiders Almanac. Number 10. I think the most fascinating scheme story of the 2022 season is Mike McDaniel in Miami taking the scheme that has led the league in yards after catch for years in San Francisco to a Miami team, which ranked 31st in yards after catch last season. So it's a huge change in scheme. So I think the average person listening to that probably thinks great. <laughs> we're now we're going to get all those yards after the catch. Um, and I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Like looking at the dolphins, personnel we've talked a lot about obviously the emphasis on speed and the differences and similarities between who they have and who san francisco had on offense do you think it's realistic to project that mike mcdaniel will be able to gin up significantly more yards after the catch it's going to be really interesting because i don't remember a team having this much scheme change in terms of what to expect from mm -hmm. yards after the catch but obviously, Tyreek Hill is a huge yards after the catch guy. Jalen Waddell, theoretically, should be a huge yards after the catch guy. Um, Cedric Wilson should be a good yards after the catch guy. Um, Mike Gusecki is interesting because Gusecki was terrible at yards after the catch last year. He was really low in yards after the catch compared to expectations. So based like on the types of routes he was running and the distances of routes, and there's been some talk that maybe he's not a good enough blocker for McDaniel's scheme, right? Because he is really, yes. he himself he's really a slot receiver. Like has he's said, I've I, almost all the time. Sorry to interrupt you, but Gusecki himself has said, well, I, get, I had to like learn how to play tight end or I'm having to learn how to play tight end because yeah, and it's, it's, it's rough goings early on because this is just not what he does. So along with that goes the question of whether he can get the yards after catch that are required. Can he play the George Kittle role? Mm. Mike, so I was watching the last game with interest, thinking about, or the Raiders, thinking about this question. Because on one hand, there's so much speed. And I also think, by the way, Tua Tungabailoa, whatever you think about him, he is good at throwing balls that should generate yards after the catch. I think his placement on those short to intermediate throws does lend itself to um, setting up his pass catchers for success. I think my concern is this. It's sort of twofold. One, if they can't threaten deep, can defenses sit on them a little bit? Um, you know, because with Hill and Waddle, you're stretching the field so much horizontally. But, you know, if they're not a realistic threat to go to, and I'm not saying they're not, I'm just saying this is the question I have. And then the other thing, Aaron, I thought watching them. So in the first couple of drives when Tua was in with the starters, minus notably Teron Armstead, the run game looked absolutely atrocious and through no fault of Chase Edmonds and you know the other uh Dolphins backs that Dolphins backs are Raheem Mostert, Miles Gaskin and Jonathan Michelle not of all not all of whom got carries but I'm just saying um the blocking is a huge problem and from other than Armstead most of the starters were in and I think that's a problem for the passing game because so much of this offense is predicated on having a viable run game, right? The 
the use of play action, the RPO game, which obviously was a big part of the Dolphins offense last year. Are you a threat to at least give the ball at times? Because if you're not, off defenses are just going to sit on the, the pass catching options. And I think that's going to limit what they can do. Well, you know, I mean, historically, research shows that it doesn't matter how well you run. As long as there's the threat that you're going to run, right. opponents are going to jump on the play action. Now, are opponents getting wise to that? You know, our defense is getting wise to that now that that research exists. Like there's some thought that like Indianapolis might be trying to teach their linebackers not to jump at play action specifically because that kind of analysis has been done. Um, It's interesting. You know, you cannot accuse Miami of not trying to fix the problem when it comes to their offensive line. I mean, Eichenberg was a second round pick last year. They used first and second round picks on the offensive line the year before that. They spent all this money on Armstead. Like, clearly they know this is a problem and they're trying to solve it. Uh, I don't know whether they have or not, because certainly their offensive line was a real problem last year, but there was no Armstead. The other issue with Tagovailoa, his numbers look a lot like Garoppolo's, except for the yards after the catch. So I feel like if if Garoppolo could have somewhat of a deep threat in that offense, right? If... If Garoppolo's inability to throw deep did shut down the San Francisco offense, I don't think that Tagovailoa's ability to throw deep or inability, depending on which it is, would shut down the Miami offense. Tagovailoa was actually really good last year on deep throws. It's just there were like none of them. Correct. Like it's a very small sample size. Right. Much like Jim Garoppolo in a lot of ways. Their their heat maps do look really similar. Um, But yeah, I I do think that... The 49ers offense is just so freaky. Like it's such a interesting statistical aberration too, right? Like the I think I've talked about this the contrast between Jimmy's um CPOE and or completion percentage over expectation and how just how productive that offense was versus the lack of air yards is fascinating. There's really nothing like it in the NFL. So I think, you know, the question of will it port is it's really, I, I, I do think it's encouraging. I, I mean, just given the amount of speed you have coupled with the fact that you have a fairly accurate quarterback, it feels like it should. I think, like I was just saying, if, if I'm a defense though, you know, um, I, I think it's an interesting question for defensive coordinators. Like, okay, you know what they want to do. If they're not a threat, you know, if you're not worried about the deep ball, like I guess, you know, you weren't worried about San Francisco, but also, if you're not worried about the run game, how does that change that calculus? And like, if I was a defense playing them, I don't know if I would be terribly concerned about the versus San Francisco, where of course you know the run game is so threatening. I gotta think it's hard to teach your linebackers not to jump at play fakes. I mean, they're doing it in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Eric Eager from PFF keeps posting numbers about like uh, that come from the next gen stats about like who jumps at play fakes and who doesn't. Uh, and the Indiana- Indianapolis guys do really good at not. But the run was established when you were in Pop Warner, right? Like, I mean, you if you're a football linebacker, you've been jumping at play fakes since you were eight years old. Like, learning not to do that is hard. Yeah. 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 It's true. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I think, um, well, I would definitely, with the RPOs, though, I would start playing the pass. That's a, that's a trend right. I'm curious, by the way, to see around the NFL more and more. Um, 
you would see, I think we talked about the Chiefs at the end of the year, right? Because defenses were like, oh, okay, you're not going to give it. <laughs> Fine. And I do wonder if that's something with a team like Miami, like how defenses will play that. But I don't know. Yeah. You know, analytics points to the idea that teams should pass more and teams should pass more. And we know that at a certain point, we will hit an inflection point where teams should not pass more. We don't think we've hit that point yet, but some of this evidence suggests we might be near that point, and that'll be really interesting when we hit that point. That's, yeah, in response to all these, now that we're living in this Vic Fangio light box world, right, yeah. um, where team, more increasingly defenses across the NFL are inviting the run, um, seeing that that balance shift, I think you're right, it is one of the more interesting storylines in the NFL. Um, okay, next storyline, number nine. Number nine. The Baltimore Ravens of last year were the most injured team of the last 20 years, according to our adjusted games lost formula, and would have been the most injured team even if we had only counted 16 games. Who comes close to that in recent history? Would it be oh, like I'm the Niners maybe um, from a couple years ago? There's a table in the book actually that lists the top teams. There was a Jets team a couple years ago that I think came close to it. Uh, 2016 Bears, uh, San Francisco in 2020, the Jets in 2019, the Jets last year, the Patriots in 2020, if you count COVID uh, opt-outs, uh, all come close. The Ravens, aside from the like incredible, just as you, as you point out, like the fact that it, they were so banged up, um, you know, just, and I, AGL accounts for positional value, correct? No, it doesn't. It's oh, it doesn't. Just, okay. It, it only accounts. It counts for you know. It counts starters and important situational players. Okay. Uh, it doesn't count all reserves. But like, what happens is, if you're a new starter at a position who would have started because of another injury, and you get injured, it then counts that. So Got it me. counts the cascade. And okay. that's what happened to Baltimore: is the cascade at running back and cornerback. Yeah, and, and, and right. And I think, well, just to I mean, weigh in on the positional value, to lose those corners, to lose your left tackle, I think a running back is more valuable in the Ravens offense than it is in other offenses. Um, it, it The kinds of players they lost are were so, and the specific players they lost, were so notable um, that, you know, to get those players back, I think it is pretty we've been talking about this all off season. They are the obvious worst to first candidate for that reason. I do have concerns. Um, one of which is Ronnie Stanley still not practicing. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think I had Bill Barnwell on last week and we talked about the Ravens and their offensive line. And I was, you know, saying, Oh, they brought in all these reinforcements, but you know, there, there's still some question marks, I think on this roster. Um, that like you know I I've, and and then of course we talked about the pass rush, they just seem so glaringly like they should be better. I think the question is though like how much better versus the Bengals if you still have a couple of question marks like Stanley and the wide receivers too, right? Like we're all kind of trusting them when they're like, no, really, Duvernay and Prochet are are really good. Like I I never know whether it's Proche or Prochet the slot receiver, but. 
Uh, they're like, no, we don't need anybody else. These guys are really good. We don't need anybody else. Trust us. We don't need anybody else. Well, these guys have been in the league for two years each. And other than DuVernay as a return man, haven't really done much. So like, we're really trying to trust them. So that's another hole definitely on the Baltimore roster. Have you been watching Isaiah Likely? <laughs> Everybody loves Isaiah Likely. Yeah, we just, oh upped, my him. God. We just upped him in our fantasy projections. Uh, you know, I... I would say to everybody, you know, put a little bit of the brakes on breakout stars from the preseason. Yeah. The preseason is the preseason, but I'm sure they'll be running a lot of two tight end stuff in Baltimore, and I'm sure likely he's going to get some play, and that'll make up for some well, of the issues. On, I mean, their best receiver is a tight end, Mark Andrews. And he's basically a – likely he's basically a receiver too, right? He's very – when you look at him, he doesn't look like a tight end. He – I I – believe is not a proficient blocker um and so yeah you talked about the two tight end sets i have to think they're gonna with nick boyle's back as they're blocking tight end i have to think they're gonna want all three of them on the field a fair amount because of that aforementioned weak wide receiver group i mean i kind of joked about this online but like isaiah likely right now looks like the second best well i would say behind andrews and bateman the third best receiver on this roster um and he's just so perfect for this offense again I'm, i know please this is preseason tempering all that you know whatever caveats but there's so many things i like about him specifically for this offense um his ability to find the soft spots in zone coverage is really important because aaron as you know like defenses do not play man barely play man against lamar jackson because if they right. do he's a threat to just absolutely if they turn their backs on him it's it's a nightmare so having a receiver like him who's really proficient at that is important. And then beyond that, just so good at the catch point and then so good after the catch. I, I mean, the dude just can't be tackled. And again, again, we'll see how that looks against, you know, starters and whatnot. But I think if defenses are focusing on Andrews, which is so often the case last year, or even Bateman, there's going to be real opportunities for him. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Lamar Jackson is a good passer, right? Like he's not the greatest when it comes to passing on the outside, but as a general passer and even as a pocket passer, like Lamar Jackson is a bit underrated. So if he's got receivers and he's healthy, and don't forget that the injuries last year included the quarterback right, <laughs> for yeah. the last third of the season, right? Like Lamar Jackson, if he's got receivers, this team should be dangerous passing. They were phenomenal in 2019. It just hasn't been the same in the two years since. Um, Just to go to the other side of the ball, you know, we're talking about all the injuries at corner. So everybody's coming back. You add Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton into the mix at safety. We all expect them to put a lot of cornerbacks on the field. Obviously a different defense with Mike McDonald there. Are there... Do you feel like um, from just an injury perspective that they have enough depth at every level or do you have any concerns about the, that the defense? No, because like they now have like Brandon Stevens who got stretched having to play safety last year. Yeah. He's now their fourth corner and their fifth and sixth corners are fourth round picks, right? On a lot of teams, the fifth and sixth corners are like street free agent type guys. Yeah. Uh, there have rookie fourth round picks as their fifth and sixth corners. And that's assuming they don't keep veteran Daryl Worley, who also is a possibility here. Like they definitely went out and built depth at the cornerback mm. position this off season. They're not letting that happen again. Kyle Fuller's on this team, right? Yeah. Kyle Fuller is the nickelback. <laughs> they were just like, whatever it takes. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. All right. Uh, number eight's really interesting. Number eight. 
So number eight is more of a historical conclusion, but obviously it's really important for this season. And that is losing a top wide receiver talent generally hurts the team losing that player more than gaining a top wide receiver talent helps the team that acquires the player. So walk me through how you arrived at this conclusion. I mean, it actually was from a few years ago. If you look at the offensive DVOA rating of teams, like, you know, we look we looked at receivers who were over a thousand yards or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever was the baseline that I used historically. And you looked at the offensive DVOA of the team losing them and then the team gaining them. On average, the team losing that that player went down more than the team gaining those players went up. And there are exceptions. Stefan Diggs, right, is a well-known exception. Whenever I bring up this issue on Twitter, I always get the response of Stefan Diggs. Y yes, the Bills got much better after adding Stefan Diggs. But in general, you should believe that the Packers and the Chiefs are going to lose more from losing their top receivers, and the Titans too, I think, than the Eagles, the Raiders, and the Dolphins will gain from adding those same receivers. So let's hit the losing side of it before we get to the gaining side of it. Um, and by the way, it's the the Diggs example is crazy because I how many times in history does it happen where a team trades away a number one and then drafts like a, a receiver who is a top five receiver in the NFL, which I like, think you can yeah, say about yeah. Justin Jefferson. Like so, yeah. yeah. So like. I, I wonder, you know, like we, we had this conversation a lot around the draft when all these crazy wide receiver trades happened and you had teams, I mean, Green Bay, Kansas City and and uh, T Tennessee are the ones we're talking about who decided to, well, it's it's a, it's a bit of a mixed approach, I would say. Green Bay and, and uh, Tennessee, well, no, no, Tennessee goes out, they get Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, Green Bay drafts a couple of guys in Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, they bring in Sammy Watkins, Kansas City, Sky Moore, and then bringing in. So it's all, the, all these teams have approached it with like a combination of bringing in, you know, like some solid veterans, I guess if you want to say about Sammy Watkins, and then drafting guys. But like, I think there's this question of, okay, the Justin Jefferson thing, or, you know, Jamar Chase, are we overreacting to a, like two huge superstars as of late? For every, um, for every Jamar Chase, there's a Nikhil Harry. And for every Justin Jefferson, there's a Jalen Reeder. Do you think there's anything to the idea, though, that like because of the nature of football, seven and seven and all of that, wide receivers are coming to the NFL more prepared? Maybe a little bit. Sure. It's tough because essentially what you're saying is the bird in hand, right? Is yeah. better than the one in the bush. But then... It's interesting though, because then, so when that burden hand goes to another team, when you, when you're saying the the gain is not as much, you're not saying that there isn't a pretty significant gain, right, from the team. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. There's, there's a gain. Yeah. <laughs> On average, when you add a wide receiver talent of that level, oh yeah, there's a gain, definitely. It just tends to be that the loss of losing the player is, yeah. is a little bit bigger than the gain from gaining the player. Of these, of the three teams that lost the players, Kansas City, Green Bay, Tennessee, that we're talking about, who do you think is going to feel it the most? Um, I think that 
Green Bay will feel it the most because I think that they don't, I think they have the least amount of talent to replace the guy that they lost. And I know that everyone loves what Romeo Dubs has done in the preseason, but he'll make mistakes in the regular season. And then you have to hope that Aaron Rodgers can trust him. And meanwhile, Christian Watson, who's the guy who was supposed to be the big incoming receiver, hasn't really done anything. And, um, you know, they're not, there's Lazard and, and um, it's just not, I think Kansas city has done more and Tennessee with Woods and Burks have done more. Although, I mean, Tennessee hasn't, hasn't done much more. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, They're going to still d- depend on a little too much Nick Westbrook. Akine. Yeah. I mean, I really like Robert Woods, but I think of these three, that offense is going to be the worst, but that's not be- because that's just because in Kansas city, I think, to your point, you know, they've thrown a lot of resources at they're not, go, you know, they didn't go for a superstar like Tyreek Hill, but it, there's a lot of potential contributors to an offense that is evolving, which is something we talk about a lot, right? And um, they still and, have one of the two or three best tight ends in the league, which is something that Tennessee does not have and Green Bay does not have. That's a good point. Yeah. And the Green Bay, but the, I think so the Green Bay offense, we all know, is going to look a little bit different. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of targets to the two running backs. They have the best running backs of the three teams. Well, I guess Derrick Henry, I don't want to disrespect him. But in the passing game, um, they're going to contribute a lot. Um, and yeah, it's it'll it's going to be, it's going to look very different. I mean, I, I would say of those three teams, I think you're right. I mean, it's also about Devontae Adams, right? I think Devontae Adams is the best of the three wide receivers who have been lost. I think he had the most value by our numbers, yeah. I mean, his target share and what he did in that offense. And that's the thing. It's it's not just how good Adams was. It was the gap between Adams and everyone else on the offense was bigger. Than the similar gap for Kansas City. or Like Byron Pringle had really efficient numbers for Kansas City last year. Now we can say that we think that Kansas City's scheme and Kansas City's quarterback made that happen for Byron Pringle, but Green Bay didn't have anybody who was equivalent to that. Now Pringle's gone too, but you see what I mean about sort of like Adams was so much of the offense in Green Bay. On the flip side, um, who do you think wins the most between Miami with Tyree Kill, Las Vegas with Devontae Adams, and Philadelphia with A.J. Brown? Um. I mean, I as far as just like this transaction, mm-hmm. I think Las Vegas. Yeah, right. We're not. You're not saying Las Vegas is going to have the best offense. You're just saying gaining Devontae Adams. It's the same. It's kind of it's the flip yeah, side. Yeah, losing, losing him Devontae is the Adams. biggest yeah. deal, and gaining him should be the biggest deal. But I think um, the the other stuff they had at receiver last year had had good numbers like they were not a team that was like desperate for receiving help and oh my god thank god they added Devonte adams uh although i guess neither was philadelphia i mean they've got Devonte smith um i mean i think in that sense miami right like miami was the one of these teams that needed the superstar the most but i think Devonte adams is the best of the three players so i think las vegas gains the most I think all of these offenses, I mean, you, we talked a little bit about Miami and the yards after the catch. It, 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 there's the talent of these three receivers who I all think are very talented, Devontae Adams being the most. And then there's the impact on scheme, impact on the other receivers in the offense. Like, 
you know, I hear you saying what you're saying about um, that impact being less than the loss. And I, I think that makes sense. But boy, when you go like team by team, and you think about, okay, adding Devontae Adams to that Las Vegas group where Darren Waller can suddenly no longer be doubled as much with and then Hunter Renfro working underneath is yeah. just such an incredible effect. Or AJ Brown, where suddenly like you've got, you know, Devontae Smith getting open a lot more easily and also him being so threatening uh, on those inside routes where you want Jalen Hurts to develop as a passer or Tyreek Hill, you know, just completely changing the nature of the way defenses play Miami, uh, just in terms of spacing and all of that, it's pretty, I mean, there's going to be a pretty dramatic effect. Yes. I mean, these are good players. Yeah. <laughs> they mean something. So I don't have much to add to what you said. I mean, that you're absolutely right. These are all good players. But like I just said, historically, yeah. statistically, right, it just it means a little bit more to lose them than it does to gain them. And, you know, historically, sometimes these guys go to a new team and they don't produce. Yes. You don't right now you don't think that's possible. Well, no, but I think but, that's that's a really good point and also that's all of these guys are leaving better quarterbacks. The historical is I'm going way way back in history, but John Jefferson when he forced a trade from San Diego in like 1981 didn't do anything for Green Bay and meanwhile they went and traded for West Chandler to replace him and West Chandler was like phenomenal for the next 2 years. So yeah. I realize I'm going way back in time with that example. No. It's a good it's a good example of what is not likely to happen but it's possible. Yeah, I mean the the burn in hand thing like it talks about the previous situation as well, right? Like it, this I think this is a really interesting question because it kind of invites of like okay, how much do we assign responsibility for the success of a quarterback wide receiver relationship when you know it is both, right? Um I think about like Devontae Adams catching all of those back shoulder fades. On one hand, we think, well, Aaron Rodgers places those perfectly. On the other hand, Devontae Adams does so many little things to get in position. I mean, he's, you know, arguably the best releases in the NFL. His route running is incredible. His hands are good. Like, there's so many little things that go right. So you're with these rare receivers, you're going from Tyreek Hill leaving Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, Devontae Adams leaving Aaron Rodgers, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. And then A.J. Brown, I, when I say a better quarterback, I think Jalen Hurts is has a can definitely be more productive than Ryan Tannehill, but the kind of routes that AJ Brown does, Ryan Tannehill throws a better ball right now, right? So when I you think consider that's true. that, yeah, when you consider that, and maybe that'll change, but I'm just saying when you consider that, it's the situationally, I think it's you know, it's possible that you could see performance declining for all three of them, for sure. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a quarterback. Uh, well, it's six, seven, and six are kind of two sides of the same coin. So why don't you give me them both, and we'll start with one. Number seven. Russell Wilson was better than you think he was mm. last season. Number six. But the Denver defense was nowhere near as good as you think it was last season. Let's start with the Russell Wilson side of it. So Russell Wilson clearly came back from the finger injury too early. Yeah. If you look at just the first few games of the season – and then the last few games of the season, he comes out as a top 10 quarterback still in DVOA. And I'm sure most other advanced statistics will have the same thing. If you take out, I think it's like the three games, it might be four after he came back from the finger injury. If you take those out, like he still comes out as a top quarterback 
in the league. I mean, Seattle had this really strange offense where like, it's been a long time. Like since I think the 99 expansion Browns, since a team averaged less time of possession per drive Mm. (laughs) than the Seahawks, but like they had an amazing deep passing game when Wilson was healthy. So like Wilson was still a star last year. You're right. <laughs> I mean, the, the I'm glad we're having this conversation because I feel like um I don't want to I never want to I don't want to come across as like salty when I say like Russell Wilson is going to run the Russell Wilson offense. That's not saying it's not going to be incredibly successful. He has been an like the Seahawks offense has finished probably top 10 in DVOA Aaron almost every year that Russell Wilson has been a quarterback. I mean, yeah, and I think they, they may have last year, too. I mean, just yeah. based on those first few games and last few games, they ended up, I'm looking it up now, they ended up seventh on offense for the year, and that's including the Geno Smith games and including those couple of games where they struggled when Wilson first came back from the finger injury. So, like, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, and I think, again, the whole Russell Wilson office thing, I think – Denver has the pieces in place to basically roll out a really similar offense to the ones that Wilson has been successful with, if that makes sense. Um, You know, over the last two years, I've talked about this a bit, some of the frustrating performances from Wilson have been when it felt like he was pressing to push the ball downfield instead of taking what was underneath and available to him and pushing the ball downfield when defenses were playing those shell coverages, which you basically have to run them out of, and the Seahawks just couldn't. Um, I think Denver can't, right? Like this, this should be a pretty good, a very good rushing attack. Yeah, left side of the offensive line, Bowles and Risner is good. Billy Turner now at right tackle is good. Um, Cushenberry and Miners should be okay. Uh, Javante Williams, people love him. Scott Spratt, who used to write for Football Outsiders and recently left us, is like the world's biggest Javante Williams fan. He's got, mm. you know, he's got great shake and bake. And Melvin Gordon is still there as the backup. And Mike Boone, you know, Mike Boone looked good the other night in the preseason game. And it reminded you, it reminded you that one of the reasons why analytics says running backs don't matter that much is not that they're not good. It's that they all are good. It's that they're all good. It's that there's so many good ones. Yeah, like sitting in third string that the first stringers don't matter as much because the third stringers have so much talent. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Denver can absolutely run. I mean, Tim Patrick is a loss. Yeah. Like, but I think they can absolutely run the, the Russell Wilson offense. And I think Russell Wilson look, could look very good. And before the Patrick injury, we had them with a top five offensive projection. I guess really? with the Patrick injury, they'll, wow. they'll be more like sixth or seventh. That's high. Yeah. (laughs) Wilson was really good last year, and he's got good parts around him. I mean, he is still – where would you rank him amongst deep ball throwers in the NFL? Certainly top five. Yeah, I would think fifth or sixth, yeah. As far as, like, the refusing to take what was available to him, like, I think that some of that is – He's always scram- been there a little he bit. He scrambles because- less now. He needs to scramble more again. Yeah. I so I bit. think that would, yeah. So that's something I've talked about a lot is like, that would be my one concern is like the mobility thing. But, um, you know, he's not that old. <laughs> he's still in really good shape. I think, um, 
at times like the pressing to it, it you know what i will say like I, it was more dramatic than it's ever been last year and maybe that was because he knew he wasn't on like a great football team i don't know what um, maybe there was like some pressure to just try to cook or whatever i don't know um I guess, though, that kind of leads us into your second point, though, which is how good is this football team? How good is the defense? I think there's an assumption that they're going to be very good because there are some they're like stars at every level. But why do you think they're not? Yeah, Denver fans think they're adding Russell Wilson to a top five uh, defense and they're not. Hmm. Um, the Denver defense was something like 20th in DVOA last year. Yes. And if you don't want to use DVOA, you just want to use yards. They were 20th in yards per drive. They were second in points allowed. And it is a statistical mirage caused by the fact that their offense under Teddy Bridgewater played at a remarkably slow pace. Plus, the way they didn't turn the ball over much. And the way special teams work in Denver because of the altitude is the kickoffs and punts go longer. So what happened was that Denver opponents started with terrible field position and ran fewer drives than anybody else. So their defense didn't allow points because their defense was on the field less and faced offenses that had to go farther to get the ball in the end zone. But when it comes to efficiency per play, the Denver defense was below average last year. And I know there's talent here. And I certain, I know, Justin Simmons. And, you know, we're all waiting for Chubb to get health, to stay healthy and Gregory to actually play a full season and call me when it happens. I mean, DJ Jones is an underrated player and nice. And I mean, there's good stuff here, but that this, te- this defense was not good last year. I think the question is, how much the injuries matter, how much the specific players who were injured mattered, and whether they can contribute this year. To your point. I think that's some of it, sure, yeah. A lot of it, to me, is just like, okay, can you count on Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory, right? I mean, that's a huge part of it. Um, I think there there are really good players at every level. I mean, Patrick Sertan is going to be a superstar. Justin Simmons one of the best safeties in the league. Um, but you know, there, if you can't, if one of those two edge rushers isn't healthy and whole and uh, plays like playing at a high level rather for the entirety of the season, I have pretty significant concerns about this defense that, you know, it, it's going to be, it's a new coordinator, Jerry Evros, coordinator for the first time coming for the Rams. I think schematically the expectation is that it's going to be pretty similar. Um, but yeah, if you don't have one of those stars up front, uh, suddenly I start worrying about, okay, well, if you're seeding, you know, these light boxes to offenses, the linebackers are just okay. You know, they're, I mean, they're, they're. And the, the depth at edge rusher, there's Nick Benito, who's a second round rookie. And then like nothing. Oh, no, I would, I'll contraire Baron Browning, who they converted to edge. Oh, I guess there is Baron Browning. Has looked really good, but you know, preseason. So we'll see. But yeah. then it was like guys like Malik Reed and. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I think, and then I would say Kareem Jackson's getting a little bit longer in the tooth, you know, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. had a little bit of a down year. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a perfectly valid, this is kind of, I think when I, I don't, can't remember if I had them when I was talking to Deontay, how I talked about this defense, but 
I definitely when I when I previewed AFC West, I was looking at it. I was like, ooh, I could just see this going a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, look, like I said, I'm sitting here telling you this team, this defense that was second in points allowed total is was actually below average last year. That doesn't mean they're going to be below average this year, right? There is a lot of talent here. Yeah. There is now Gregory, although like Gregory is replacing half a year of Von Miller, so he's not replacing nothing. But, you know, Pat Sertain taking another step forward is 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 big. And like I said, DJ Jones is very underrated, was really good in San Francisco. So uh, a new coordinator, you don't know what direction things are going to go. This could be an above average defense, but it wasn't last year. So what's important is mm. that Denver is not adding Russell Wilson to an established top five defense. Oh, They're adding Russell Wilson yeah. to a team with a lot of hope on defense. Denver, I find to be the hardest team to get my arms around in the NFL right now because of the division, because of what you just talked about, which is some they're going to be better on offense, but are they going to be good on defense? Is it good enough? I I just have a lot of trouble figuring out this team. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's I think that that's a reasonable comment. Sure. <laughs> All right, let's return with some major optimism. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Aaron. Point number five. Number five. I'm driving the Philadelphia Eagles bandwagon this year. I think Love they'll it. be a major Super Bowl contender, partly because of all the talent they added in the offseason and partly because they have the easiest projected schedule in the league. So let's start on the defense because we're just you were just coming off of how the Denver defense wasn't that good. The Philadelphia defense last year, 25th in pass DVA, 18th in rush DVA. What makes you think that they're going to be massively improved? Um, the talent that they add and get back. So the defense, for example, adds James Bradbury, mm. Hassan Reddick, Kazir White, 
and they get back Brandon Graham from injury. And that doesn't even include the rookies where Jordan Davis is like a freak. And I think everyone agrees. It's tough because, you know, research has been done showing that there is no such thing as a draft steal, that on average, the guys really? who, on, on average, guys who drop in the draft compared to expectation do about as well as the guys taken around them in the draft. That being said, N'Kobe Dean looks like a draft steal. <laughs> like, no one knows well, why he dropped. I, yeah, he dropped. Everyone was like, oh, he's so injured. He's freaking playing. Like, yeah. this isn't even like a thing where, like, he might be ready week one. He is on the field. I am, like, who who spread those rumors? <laughs> like, what the hell? I don't know. I do not know. It was oh. weird. I mean, it, but him and Davis are just such a... The veterans, we obviously know, you know, we know who they are. They're established. They're Bradbury, uh, Graham, Kaiser White, who I'm a little bit lower on than my friend Greg Rosenthal. But, um, but we he's know what better they, than what they had at the position. Better, well, of course, linebackers have been like a nightmare, right, for them. But um, uh, I just love Davis and Dean because they're that's just who they needed, right? Like they just need that big body defensive tackle who can two gap and they just needed a linebacker who can fly around the field behind no. said defensive tackle. It just was such an obvious, like, Oh yes. Like this is, this is perfect. What they needed was James Bradbury. Well, and yes, they needed, a corner, <laughs> they needed a cornerback so that the other quarterback didn't come in and go, okay, where's Darius Slay? Mm -hmm. Now let's throw to the other side. Like, <laughs> yes, no, hundred percent who Darius Slay has been so good for them too. Right. Despite being, the guy the only guy there having to put out fires mm -hmm. um offensively though like so um you know i've talked a lot this offense stefan voice this offense has everything they they really do it's the offensive line is fantastic with aj brown i love this receiving group now combined with dallas goddard who i think is like one of the more underrated skill players in the nfl you know good group of backs how good of a passer how, how good does jalen hurts have to be you 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 talked about them being a super bowl contender how good does he have to be Better than last year. He was an average passer last year by DVOA. He needs to be better than that. But I don't think he has to be a top five quarterback. I mean, if Jimmy Garoppolo can lead a team to the Super Bowl and Blake Bortles can lead a team to the AFC championship game a few years ago, if there's as much talent around them as I think there is and the schedule is as easy as I think it is, Jalen Hurts can lead this team to a number one seed. One seed. Wow. It's not impossible, man. I mean, we're going to... We, we have them projected on average in our projections with more wins than Tampa Bay or the Rams, even though Tampa Bay and the Rams project to be better teams. Because of the schedule. Because and of the schedule. Yeah. <sighs> Boy. I love it. I mean, I, I, I've got them winning the division... I, I've said I think this is like arguably the best roster in the NFL outside of the quarterback position. Not that I don't like Jalen Hurts, just looking from top to bottom, they're so stacked. Um, yeah, I know. If you're an Eagles fan, you owe it to yourself to buy a copy of Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 <laughs> so that uh, when you guys actually win the NFC and lose to Buffalo in the Super Bowl, you can say, I expected this. Okay, next storyline. Number four, the New Orleans Saints have the best defensive projection in the league. 
Okay, I had them at four. I, I did a defensive rankings pod with Deontay Lee, and people were like, really? You know, Saints still? And, I, and with the talent leaving, and I'm just like, yeah, they still have so many good players. So walk us through why you guys are so high on them. Yeah, top three defensive DVOA the last two years. Uh, and they did it without being at the top of the league in takeaways. So takeaways tends to regress stronger from year to year than yardage allowed. And the Saints have built a great defense on yardage allowed more than they've built a great defense on takeaways. And they lost players, mm. but they also gained players. Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. Um, and on offense, we're projecting their offense to be average. But I mean, you know, the receivers are way better than they've been in the past. So they're projected to be a really good defense with an average offense. And that's a playoff team. The Concerns people have are, I would say, just the age up front. Although, you know, Marcus Davenport is young. No, um, you're right. The age, like Demario Davis and Cameron Jordan are older guys, and Tyron Matthews is an older guy. Yeah. And then I think, you know, going from Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins to Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, they there's two kind of ways of looking at it. I think two brands of skepticism I've seen. One is just that they're not as good players. Um, which, you know, we can discuss. The other is like, what does it change schematically for this defense? Because they're, it's such a different pairing of safeties, right? Like with less defined roles in, in many ways, because yeah. both Marcus May and Tyra Matthew, they, you know, play, they'll play closer to each other. They'll do more of the same things. I guess where I push back is I just, this corner group is so good. I mean, I, I, first of all, I think Marcus May and Tara Matthew, I do think they're not as good. I still think they're good players. But I just think when you have Marsha and Lattimore, Paulson Adebo, who I think is going to be really good this year, and then C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who's one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL, I just, there's so much continuity. Um, yeah. And, and it's just such a strength for them on the back end. I'll tell you my biggest fear about this defense. Dennis Allen was defensive coordinator of the Raiders and became head coach, and his defense tanked in part because he was too stretched as head, to as head coach to give full attention to the defense because when you're head coach, you have a lot of other responsibilities. And the worry is that that happens again. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. I and just... there's nothing in our projection system for defensive coordinator becomes head coach and loses his ability to run the D. I mean, you know, yeah, how many right. times has that happened that it's going to go into a numerical projection system that's based on past performance? It's not, but it is something to worry about. Yeah, that's fair. I think the amount of veteran talent probably on this defense is what you feel good about, even with Allen taking on additional responsibilities. But, um, you know, I mean. Right, veteran talent runs both ways. On one hand, what if they suddenly get old? On the right. other hand, these are guys who know what they're doing and they know how to run the defense for their teammates like you it know, runs both ways there's there's just there's a lot of like it is a, it's a really fun group it's a, a fun mixture of veteran talent and then like young ascending players or potentially ascending players whether it's a peyton turner or a pete werner i mentioned paul sodebo like you know if one of those players really takes a leap suddenly you f feel good about your reinforcements as those older players kind of get a bit older and they've just done a really good job of <laughs> balancing that um on defense so i i love that projection i'm i i it's it seems a bit optimistic but i i still 
I like it a lot just because of how talented they are. All right, what's your third? Number three. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, speaking of teams that New Orleans has shut down the last couple of years, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be the best offense in the league. Do you still feel that way with all the injuries on the offensive line? Yes. They still are number one in our offensive projections, but by less. Okay. Kansas City is closer now than they were before the injuries. Okay, great. So let's talk about why you guys like them so much before we get to the offensive line. I mean, they've just been fantastic the last couple of years. And a big part of our offensive projection system is the quarterback. And obviously the quarterback is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is strength on the offensive line. Like, I mean, Jensen is a big loss, but Shaq Mason is a good replacement for Marpet and Worf's is day to day. So you can't, you can't include a day to day injury in any projection because right. he could be back like tomorrow. Um, the receivers are great. Godwin's supposed to be back for the start of the season now. Um, just in every, you know, every statistical split, they come out good. It just everything points yeah. to them being a good offense. I mean, they finished And they first... didn't lose. Like, you know, Kansas City lost a lot of talent this offseason. And Tampa Bay didn't lose squat because they yeah. already lost Antonio Brown halfway through last year. Well, this is an offense that finished first – in past DVOA, first and weighted DVOA last year, even after losing Chris Godwin. Um, and brings in, I've talked about Russell Gage and how I think, you know, how he's just uh, was so productive in that Atlanta offense. Um, and so for him to be your number three, for Julio Jones to just be dressing, you know, see what you got, a number four, sure. It, the wide receiver room is absolutely loaded. I thought yeah. I think Leonard Fournette looks really good. I'll say that. I by think the way. Tyler Johnson is underrated. I think Scotty Miller is underrated. The, I, the, one of them is not even going to make the team. You know, the concern people have is, of course, with the interior of the offensive line in particular being as banged up as they are. Even well, you see, Shaq Mason obviously is good, but at center, it looks like Robert Hainsey they're comfortable mm-hmm. with. He's played like what thirty snaps in the NFL. I think I read somewhere Luke Gedeke, who they drafted, is not going to start at guard. Oh, I thought he is. I thought he was the okay. leader to start at well, left we'll see, guard, but, it's, but I might be wrong. It's going to be someone who's not experienced. I'll tell you that right now. Or someone who's not, you know, um, there's there's a loss of continuity there. Of course, the rap on Brady has always been the interior pressure thing. He mitigates that a lot by getting the ball out so quickly. I, I think I mentioned this when I did the Bucks pod, Aaron, but one thing I found really interesting is – for a long time, you know, Brady splits when pressured versus kept clean are incredibly dramatic, right? He falls off big time, unsurprisingly. But last year, he was actually eighth in QBR when pressured versus 30th in 2021. Yeah, but that tends to be inconsistent. Performance, is, without, performance without pressure tends to be more consistent than performance with pressure. Why do you think that is? Um, I think the swings are bigger. Like the gains can be bigger from those you know, from either scrambles or, or, um, you know, not in in Brady's case, uh, or those broken play downfield, but also, you know, the, the losses when you're under pressure, the sacks are huge. Like just just the swings of the performance. I could also see it big, pretty inconsistent uniquely with Brady because he was pressured so rarely too, right? Like his, he's usually ranks since joining the Bucks, He's been, I think like, but he was last year. He was low in pressure rate last year. The least, yeah, pressure quarterbacks in the NFL. The, the interior thing, though, it's like, you know, it's very obvious why. Because, you know, Brady, if you do manage to flush him out of the pocket, which you want to do from the inside rather than from the outside where he can just step up. He's so good at that. 
he is very mediocre, right? So, yeah. you know, we'll see. Um, I'm just going to add here, I don't understand why nobody has signed J.C. Treader. I wonder if that's a Treader thing. Like, maybe like, he's... I wonder if it's a Treader thing, and I hope it's not related to the union. I think Treader is still good. I think Treader would be better than whatever they're going to put at left guard for Tampa. He has a um, market, right? Because the the Browns desperately need, need a, center a center in San as well. Francisco. And San Francisco never quite it was Alex Mack, and yet there's no word about anyone being yeah. interested in him at all. It's definitely weird. And one my first response one after the teams. Jensen injury, my first response was J.C. Treader. It makes sense. I don't know. Um, even with all the injuries in the interior offensive line, I am still optimistic for all the reasons you outline. Um, let me see this one more question. If you're the Bucks, do you think it's worse to lose skill players or do you think it's worse to lose interior, like offensive linemen for, for Brady in particular? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it depends. It depends how many guys lost, at well, this point, at this point, it's worse to lose offensive linemen because you've already lost two of them. Yeah, so yeah. you start getting that cascade effect where the replacements get worse and worse and worse. Whereas if Julio Jones has anything left, they absolutely could afford to lose one of their top three receivers. Yeah, I think that's right. Last year they lost both. And I think ultimately it was the injuries to the offensive line that did them in really. Yeah. Um, because Brady, I mean, he was really throwing the, it was, I, I don't think, I mean, they were, they, and they almost beat the Rams as banged up as they were in the last yeah. year in the wild card game. Um, I'm not panicking, but I do think, these these offensive line injuries are probably the most in terms of like injuries that could affect the outcome of the season and like you know a team getting a one seed versus uh, not i do think that they're probably amongst the most dramatic of any you know right who now. that opens up you know that opens up for the one seed though the, the philadelphia eagles <laughs> i was gonna say green bay getting david bakhtiari back which is the other most dramatic piece of injury news all right second point number two the buffalo bills are the best team in the league yeah. And this is chalk, right? This is what this Vegas is thinks. Yeah. And they have a top five projection in offense, defense, and special teams. They're just an incredibly well-rounded team that's good at every position and that's deep at almost every position. They have the depth to afford injuries at most, most positions except quarterback and I'd say corner until Tredavious White comes back. They can't afford to lose one of their corners, but – they actually have depth in a lot of places. So they're just a really, they're just really well built and look like a Super Bowl favorite. Do you have concerns about their offensive line? That's the one thing that I've seen come up when you're looking at this roster and you're poking holes. Yeah, Questenberry hasn't been very good. Like, I feel like they can do better than Questenberry at right tackle. Um, but they've gotten by with a similar offense. The offensive line, other than Barry, right, is similar to last year, except all they have Saffold now at left guard, which should be an upgrade. So, yeah. and they're deep. They picked up guys like Van Rotten so that, you know, God forbid they have injuries. They have guys who have some experience who can go into the lineup. So, um, you know, I'm concerned, but I feel like they are good enough and well-rounded enough to win despite the that despite that that's going to be the weakness that when we're doing trying to do two weeks of media before the super bowl we're going to spend it talking about david questenberry and is he going to get beaten by <laughs> right oh you know, either you know shaquille barrett or aaron donald or uh 
you know, Hassan Reddick. Yeah, and depending on how either Kyrie Elam or Christian Benford, the two rookie corners perform, maybe like, oh, are they going to go after? Right. I don't know when White is coming back. I don't know when White is coming back. So, you yeah. know, getting him back is important. But by the time they get to the playoffs, he'll be back. Do you think this pass rush will be better this year? Yeah, I do. Vaughn <laughs> Miller, man. Plus, like, young guys getting experience. Rousseau Great. in his second year yeah. and Basham in his second year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, they are really deep. <laughs> yeah, the Bills are really good. And, you know, it's funny because I get in trouble for not uh, – I get in trouble with Bills fans for not completely genuflecting at the altar of Josh Allen. But uh, as an overall team, this team is really good. And the quarterback is really good too. I just have other quarterbacks I like a little more. He could be better this year because – He should had, be better this he year. He should be better this year, right, because he had some of those weird performances yes. last year, especially towards the end. Um Yes. Well, it's interesting because we were debating on our live stream, the Football Outsiders live stream, quarterback tiers. And I said I would rather have Justin Herbert than Josh Allen. And Justin mm -hmm. Herbert was better than Josh Allen in pretty much every advanced stat last year. But then we realized what we really would want is Justin Herbert in the regular season and Josh Allen in the playoffs. <laughs> because in the regular season, you want the stability. In the playoffs, you're willing to take the risk of a stinker for a, for a performance like what he did against Kansas City. Because you need, you need, you if you get three of those, you win a Super Bowl. So we'd rather have Allen in the playoffs. I think one thing I'm, you know, I talked about this when I talked about the offense is sort of like continued development of like, okay, if defenses are going to play too high against the Bills, are we going to use our fullback, Reggie Gilliam? We bring in OJ Howard, who I, apparently has not been great, but so that might be a limiting factor there. Um, you know, what does the run game look like with James Cook now in the mix? Although apparently is that, you know, the, again, these are, you, you get the sexy names like, oh, yeah, James Cook. And then suddenly it's like, no, actually, you know, uh, Zach Moss is still going to run the ball for us. I don't know. But Singletary, man, we're big on Singletary. We think Singletary is underrated for fantasy. He's one of my fantasy underrated guys this year. Well, I think that he's going to have to be productive if that's how defenses play them. So. I, I'm optimistic. I'm obviously, I'm optimistic about the Bills, but I, yeah, I, I don't really have a ton you, of concerns. You have to stretch. You really, Mike Tanier. Mike Tanier yeah. wrote about it at Football Outsiders yesterday. You've really got to stretch to find a reason to think the Bills are not going to be one of the top teams in the league this year. And we have yet to read. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a scouting person or you're an analytics person or you're like an insider who talks to a lot of coaches. Like, no matter what your point of view on the NFL nobody's able to come up with a reason why this should not be one of the best teams in the league other than injuries. If right. Josh Allen gets injured. Yeah. I would say if like Allen white digs like the, the stars, right. At I think they could, where they're not they, they absolutely super deep. Could survive a digs injury. They absolutely could mm -hmm. survive. I mean, would they be as good? No, but they've got depth at receiver. It's the injury. They can't survive is Allen, right? Cause he's the quarterback. Mm -hmm. About I don't know how deep their wide receiver. I like their wide receiver group. I wouldn't characterize it as I don't know. I mean, I think they can they could survive that better than a lot of teams could survive losing a star wide receiver as good as Diggs. Yeah, that's probably fair. All right, your last point is a little bit more conceptual. Number one, our projections are normally very conservative. Okay, I mean it's something that I always need to work on that we end up with our average wins and our simulations closer to 500 than the range of wins that Vegas gives for over-unders. But this year, 
our projections were even more conservative than usual. The best teams were even lower and mm. the worst teams were even higher than we usually get. And that suggests that teams are more closer together than you think. And there is a bigger chance than usual of unexpected things happening. Like the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> like the Bears being good. What, why do you think that is? Any theories? I don't know. Some of it has to do with the player movement this offseason. Yeah, that's Certainly, what I was thinking. A lot of the top teams losing top players matters. I mean, the Jensen injury is just brings things even closer together, yeah. right? Because we had Tampa Bay far ahead as our better best offense projection. And now they're much closer to Kansas City as our best offense projection. And like like um you know, Tyree Kill leaving Kansas City and going to Miami brings teams closer together and Devontae Adams moving brings teams closer together. And, mm. um, you know, the teams we think are really bad are not like Jacksonville has has Lawrence and, and some young talent and Houston has a bunch of mediocre players. And here's the thing about mediocrity. It sounds like I'm saying something bad, but mediocrity goes seven and 10. It doesn't go three and 14. You know, I think that that for me is well. I, I was thinking when you first sent this to me, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's like a clustering thing, right? Like having all the like all the AFC West teams are good, and if they were in other divisions, maybe they would be more dominant. So maybe being in division together brings them down a bit. But I think what you just said about the bad teams is what really stands out to me. You know, I, I was asked. I can't remember by somebody who do you think is going to have a number one draft pick next year, and I was like, I don't know, maybe Houston. And then I kind of just went and I looked at all the the teams <laughs> and it's hard i mean there's not you know i think the bears have a really you know a pretty barren roster but you could see them like you said eking out some wins i think a team like the falcons i was watching them yesterday against the jets and i was watching that offense with mariota and ritter and i was thinking to myself like this team might not be that bad like they're not a good team yeah but there's not like you said there's not like there aren't many train wrecks around the somebody NFL will right be somebody, somebody will be. be a train wreck right we don't know who it's going to and... be but there always is somebody will be a train yeah. wreck someone will go two and 15 or something but it's hard to figure out who because even the worst teams are better than you think they are so the things are just closer to 500 this year and so i think that that means there's a more of a chance of unexpected things happening like detroit being good or mm. Green Bay being bad. Don't Unexpected. Tempt Don't tempt me with a, a Detroit good time. Restore the um, roar, baby. Yeah. You, talk, you talked about the Eagles on the NFC side. Is there any team in like the AFC you could see being, I know the Bills are the favorite, Chiefs are up, you know, number two. Are, are there, well, I guess I, that's an assumption. The Chiefs are up there, obviously, for most Yeah, people. we actually have the Chargers slightly ahead of the Chiefs. Okay, so Bills, Chargers, Chiefs. Ravens, Browns, I mean, or not Browns, well, not the Browns, Bengals, <laughs> uh, Colts. Are there any we're, teams that you feel like might surprise? No, we're, we're low on the AFC South. So honestly, really yeah. good season from the Colts or the Titans would surprise us. I have what I call the subjective case for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but it's not for them to be a Super Bowl contender. The subjective, the subjective case for the Jaguars is, one, we have the AFC South really far down, so maybe the other teams don't mm. end up with winning records. But two, if Urban Meyer really was as bad a head coach as we think he was, 
going from him to Doug Peterson is a huge change. And then Trevor Lawrence, if he's as talented as we all thought he was, shouldn't they jump significantly? And if their division is down as a whole, aren't they a little dangerous? I don't know about dangerous, but they should be better. <laughs> I one thing that I've loved watching them nine is, and eight, man. Um, I I think nine and eight is definitely on the table. The defense, I think, still some holes. Secondary yes. jumps out, but that defensive line has speed. I I think uh, Trayvon Walker to me in the preseason has really jumped out as potentially being like a force multiplier on that defensive line. Suddenly, you know, Josh Allen is freed up. Suddenly you can move Arden Key inside and he can wreak havoc. I, I, I'm excited to see, to watch. We, we talk about it in the book a little bit. Performance at the combine, athletic performance for edge rushers actually correlates a little bit better with future success than production in college does. Wow. A teensy, teensy, teensy little bit better. But we like Trevon Walker as a pick. Maybe not as the number one pick because the production difference in college was so big yes. between him and Hutchinson. Unprecedented. And him and Thibodeau. Yeah. But he's like a really talented dude. And he's gonna make uh he's gonna make a lot of waves. All right. There you have it. Ten things you can tell your friends to sound smarter. But we will have five more things for Aaron Shots. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? As always, five questions for our guest. Four from me, one from Lenny. Aaron, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question one. You are a Patriots fan. You live in the New England area. Are you worried about all of the craziness around the Patriots offense? Yeah, it's good to have an offensive coordinator. <laughs> they should have one. I'm a big believer in the concept of having an offensive coordinator. Like... I'm tired what are you of talking saying? about you're, it. You're, you're speechless because I'm, like, well, I'm it's like I'm tired of like talking about it because it's so you know we're speculating and it's so it's so weird and dumb. I don't know. Belichick Belichick can absolutely overlook one side of the ball or the other. I don't think he can do both. Now maybe he's leaving the whole defense to his son and to Gerard Mayo, but I mean you know it would be good to have an offensive coordinator with an offensive history. Oh. And it would be interesting to get some new blood in here, not a bunch yes. of guys who already were with the well, team. Especially if you're trying to undergo this Shanahan scheme change, right? Like, yeah. why not bring in someone from that world? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. It's, there's a, there is a legit possibility that the Patriots are a train wreck this year. All right. Question number two. Um, last year, the Cowboys defense finished second in DVOA. Where do you see them? This year, more like eighth. Still good. Uh, remember what I said about New Orleans, right? Yardage correlates better from year to year than takeaways. The Dallas defense was really super heavy on takeaways last year, but I still think there's a lot of talent on that defense. Like the the players are, yes, the players are talented. So I don't see them suddenly becoming a below average defense, but I don't think they're going to be a top five defense again. 
Also, Dan Quinn, I thought, did a really, really good job and yeah. surprised a lot of people, myself included, with his adaptability, um, which I think matters, right? You know, as we kind of look ahead to this year, it's it was crazy for me to just like go through and see how good that defense was, not just in like a lot of it is affected by all the turnovers, obviously, and that's kind of a big case for the regression. But this is where just, I uh, oh, sorry. I, I have to apologize to one of my writers, Rivers McCown because he wrote something comparing Micah Parsons to Rob Gronkowski as the defensive Rob Gronkowski. And I couldn't fit it into the chapter and we ended up getting rid of it. And then this week in Peter King's column, a coach makes the same comparison. And Rivers is like, see, see. It's such a good comparison. Oops. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I have to apologize. Sorry, Rivers. What a player. Question three, and that's a big part of the reason why I'm like, uh, I can't see them slipping that much because between him and Demarcus Lawrence, I mean, I, I don't love the the D-line otherwise, and I think defenses will still be able to run it on them, but they're going to get after quarterbacks. All right, question three. Speaking of quarterbacks, my beloved Seahawks currently having competition between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. If you're a Seahawks GM, put yourself in John Schneider's shoes, and your choices are this. Geno Smith... Drew Locke, trade for Tyler Huntley, wait for Jimmy Garoppolo to get cut. What option do you go with? Well, I wouldn't wait for Garoppolo to get cut because he's the best of those four. And frankly, you don't want that. You want to be in the running for one of the quarterbacks next year. I think you would try to trade for Huntley and see if he could be as good as one of the quarterbacks from next year. And if he's not, then you get one of the quarterbacks next year. That's probably that's a good approach. I really like Tyler Huntley. <laughs> um, all right. Question number four. I was gonna ask about a different quarterback. Let me move back to I I, I just I feel like I, I I just love asking you for projections. Um so you said that you don't expect train wrecks of the order of last year, but Gun to your head. Who do you think has the number one pick? New York Giants. Really? Yeah, our numbers really do not like the Giants this year. We have them as the worst projected defense in the league. This is my line about the Giants. My line about the Giants is we don't like their roster, and we don't think their front office does either. (laughs) Like, we're big believers in the front office, the new front office. We're big believers in the new coaching staff. We are not big believers in the players that they have to work with. And Giants fans, if you hear that, that's not an insult. You have the right people in place is what he's saying. Um, yeah, the, I, the defense is rough, man. I That, I think, is the thing that really shocked me when I was kind of going through team by team, just seeing that secondary and outside of, you know, McKinney. and mm. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, they lost Bradbury and got nothing in return. Yeah. I mean, there's the leftovers of Adderay Jackson, you know, Darnay Holmes and Aaron Robinson is okay. And then behind them are like street free agents or Cordell Flott is a third round rookie. It's it's bad. I mean, there's a reasonable pass rush once the is healthy and Aziz Ojolari um, and Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence are still good, but they still allowed a lot of uh, runs last year, even with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard yeah. Williams. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, Daniel Jones, it's, like the optimistic thing Giants fans believe is that Brian Dable is going to turn Daniel Jones oh, to Josh Allen. It is just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. 
I feel bad for Daniel Jones because every time he plays now, announcers are going to talk about that and put up like, the, I think uh, last week I saw a screenshot. I don't know if it wasn't our game, but they had the Daniel Jones statistics next to Josh Allen's statistics. I was like, oh God, there's going to be a whole year of this. I'm, I'm sure he'll have a nice long career as a backup after this year. <sighs> Woo. On that brutal note, Lenny's final question. Uh, Lenny wants you to know that he'd love the Football Outsiders Almanac so much so that he ate approximately 10% of it. <laughs> this is a thing that happened. Fortunately, I have a digital copy, but what's your response to Lenny? Um, the problem is if you eat part of the book, it no longer has the proper weight to kill mosquitoes. Mm. Like one of the additional values <laughs> of it as a book that you buy in August is you can really smack mosquitoes with this thing because it's huge but the lighter it is the less smack you're going to get out of it well there you go folks if that's not an advertisement for buying it i don't know what is aaron shots thank you so much for coming on pod thanks for having me